Welcome to NoSpinHomilies.com. I invite you to join me to reflect upon the homilies of Father Dan. Father Dan will challenge us to open our heart, mind, and soul to the Word of God. Father Dan will draw upon sacred scripture along with art, literature, and the lives of the saints to help us grow in our love and knowledge of the scripture. In doing so, we can become the living Word of God in this world. Now it is my pleasure to present to you No Spin Homilies. Today, our church around the world celebrates the feast of the baptism of Jesus Christ by John the Baptist. Now, this event was extremely embarrassing for our early church. The apostles in the first few years of our early church avoided this event. They didn't want to talk about it because they didn't understand it. Think of it. Here we have Jesus Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity, seeking a baptism for the forgiveness of sins? Picture it. John the Baptist is on the Jordan banks, just north of Jerusalem. He's preaching to the people that they must repent for their sinfulness. And as an outward expression of their remorse, as well as their desire to change, they are to be baptized. And so the people listen to John, and they do just that. They go into the cold, muddy waters of the Jordan River and are baptized. Well, so too does Jesus Christ. There's no denying that he accepted this baptism. It's attested to in all four of the Gospels. And yet, if there is one story, one event in the life of Christ and his ministry that you would want to leave out, it would be this one. Jesus, he begins his first public ministry by seeking a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. It makes no sense. That's why the apostles in the first few years of our early church avoided this event. They didn't understand it. John the Baptist didn't understand it either. There's that classic scene in which Jesus kneels before John the Baptist and John says to Jesus, It is I who should be baptized by you. Now we realize in our day and age, baptism is a great event. It's a very joyous event in our families, as well as the life of our faith communities. I always say, baptism is the second greatest event in our life. Why? Because at the moment we are baptized, our life is joined to the life of Jesus Christ, never to be separated ever again for all of eternity. And it gives us the promise that we not only share a life with Christ, but we also share in his death and resurrection. It gives us the hope of immortality to come for each and every one of us. Now, you may say, well, what is the greatest event in our life? When we see the beatific vision, when we stand and see Christ staring back at us, that is the greatest event in our life because then we know we are in heaven and will be with God and all the saints and the angels for all of eternity. That truly will be the greatest event in our life. Now, don't get confused. Jesus Christ truly is the Son of God. He is the spotless Lamb. He is sinless. By his own divine nature, he cannot commit sin. And so that begs the question, why? Why does Jesus subject himself, this baptism, for the forgiveness of sins? Well, first it tells us 
how counterintuitive God operates. Jesus lays aside all of his glory and majesty and slips quietly, unannounced, into the cold, muddy waters of the Jordan River. More to it, he stands shoulder to shoulder with other sinners. Now, what kind of sinners are these? Well, some are ordinary, and some are pretty serious sinners. Nonetheless, Jesus is right there, standing right next to them, waiting for John's baptism. Now, remember, this is the very first act in Jesus' public ministry. Normally, when we begin something, for example, like a new job, our first inclination is to impress our boss, to put the best foot forward. We want to impress our boss because we want to make sure that he or she made the right decision in hiring us. But for Jesus, his first move in his public ministry, it seems like he's looking as bad as he possibly can. But again, that's the irony of it all. Jesus stands shoulder to shoulder with sinners. He stands next to a sinful world. Why? Because he wants to identify with us. He wants to stand in solidarity with us, such that through this great act of baptism, he brings God's love down to a sinful world. Jesus came to forgive sins, and that's at the heart of his ministry. How often does Jesus say in the Gospels, I have not come for the healthy, but for the sick and the sinners. Jesus comes into the world for us. We are all sinners and are in need of being healed. Now, with that in mind, go to the first reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Notice what Isaiah says. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill shall be made low. The rugged land should be made plain. Now, we've heard this several weeks ago during the season of Advent. John the Baptist quoted this, and we learned valleys and mountains were hazards to travel. But spiritually speaking, Isaiah is prophesizing Jesus will come, and he will remove all spiritual hazards that prevented us from drawing closer to God, especially the worst one, sin and death. What does sin do? It disorientates us. We get spiritually lost, we get turned around, and then we walk down the wrong path that leads away from Christ. But Christ now comes into this world to lead us back to him. That's why it says at the very end of the first reading, Here comes with power the Lord God, who rules by a strong arm. Here is the reward with him, his recompense before him. Like a shepherd, he feeds his flock. In his arms, he gathers the lambs, carrying them in his bosom, and leading the ewes with care. Well, Christ truly is our good shepherd who cares for us. He does feed us with his body and his blood, and he cares for us within the sanctity of his church that he built. Through the scriptures, the sacraments, the teachings of the church, we are protected and always sanctified and made holy. But before any of this can be done for us, It first must happen that Jesus has to be baptized. He has to identify himself with us, stand in solidarity with us through his baptism. We have to realize our God isn't a God who simply passes judgment from on high. Oh, that would be so easy for him to do. Instead, Jesus, with great humility, he comes into our world and he exposes himself to this humiliating baptism 
in order to begin the work of salvation. A good analogy to help us appreciate this event would be like a coach. Maybe a coach that coaches little ones. Maybe a little league coach. A good coach really cares about his players and will always try and identify with them. Now, if the players on that little league team are having problems, say, with hitting, instead of passing judgment upon his players and yelling at them, the good coach will work with them. First, he'll kneel down so that now he's eye to eye with his players, shoulder to shoulder with them. He'll then teach them how to hold a bat, how to watch the ball, how to make contact with the ball. And eventually, over time, the players get better and better and better. Well, the same thing holds with us in the event with Jesus being baptized. When Jesus is baptized, you could say he is now standing eye to eye with us shoulder to shoulder with us. And from that moment forward, he begins the healing process, the work of salvation for us all. And we get stronger in our faith because of that. Notice at the very end of the story, we are gifted with the Holy Trinity on display. But notice that odd detail. Before the Holy Trinity displays itself, what is Jesus doing? It says, After Jesus has been baptized and was praying, the heavens opened up. He was praying. Jesus was always a person of prayer. We too must be also. We see Jesus, a typical day in his life. Jesus will get up early in the morning, go to a deserted place and pray. And then, after he is finished, he will conduct his affairs, preaching, teaching, curing the sick, performing miracles. The next day, the same thing will happen. He'll get up early in the morning and go to a deserted place and pray. Also notice, Jesus is always praying during significant events of his life. During the Last Supper, before his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's on the cross about to die, Jesus is praying. Prayer was an indispensable part of his life, which should always be for us in all facets of life, whether we are alone or with our family or at church. Prayer must be an indispensable institution in our life. One last thought. Yes, the baptism of Jesus Christ was embarrassing for early church. The apostles had a very difficult time explaining it, so they avoided it at all costs. But after many years and through the power and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, They understood why Jesus needed to be baptized in order for him to begin his ministry. More so, they felt compelled to proclaim just that. That's why all four of the evangelists made sure they included it in their Gospels. What we have to realize is our God is a God that will go to any lengths to save us. Whether it's enduring a humiliating baptism for the forgiveness of sins or dying on the cross. There are no lengths in which God will come to heal us, save us, and redeem us. Friends, strongly encourage you, take to prayer this week, this event. Jesus, he endures his baptism so to stand in solidarity with us. And for all of eternity, Jesus stands with us, shoulder to shoulder, each and every day of our life, making sure that we go stronger in our faith. More to it, we need to pray in thanksgiving 
for the gift of our baptism, an event in which Jesus came and united his life to us, so that now we have the promise of immortality to come with him and all the saints and the angels. And for that we should be truly grateful. And may the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ rest upon you always.